Hi team, welcome to the Jeremy Dooley Show. What's happening, legends? Welcome back to another episode of the Jeremy Dooley Show. Uh, thank you so much for those who reached out and listened to the uh, opening episode, uh, which was, I guess, kind of more of a container, a bit of a frame of what this is going to be about. Um, and yeah, today I thought I'd uh, have a little bit of a chat, um, just again, to set a bit of context before we get into things about my journey as a stand-up comedian and the origin story. Um, I've been doing stand-up since... Only 2021 I started. Um, I had dabbled previous, previously though, and I think my origin story goes back to high school. Uh, I was really lucky that my drama teacher at my high school for a couple of years was Damien Callanan, who is a fantastic writer and comedian and performer. Um, his movie, The Merger, is on Netflix here in Australia and it's just a beautifully done movie. It's very funny um, and really poignant as well. And his stage shows at the comedy festival are always just masterclasses in writing and character comedy. And yeah, he's brilliant. I was really lucky that he was my drama teacher because it kind of planted a seed that you could do something with it. I didn't actually know what drama was uh, when I started high school, uh, but his classes were so fun and and so full of laughs. And uh, in my final year of high school, I had uh, switched into drama class. Uh, I was doing computer classes and absolutely hated it. It was fucking shit. All I did was uh, distract everyone else and was a menace. And I remember to swap classes, you had to get the teacher to sign a note saying that it was okay. And me and another dude were going to do the same thing. We were going to ditch computers and go into drama. And he had the meeting immediately before me with the teacher and copped this massive spray about it's for no hopers and you're never going to do anything with your life and you know, only people who are in the arts and, and who do drama are people who aren't going to be useful anywhere else. It just chewed his ear off for about five, ten minutes. And he walked out and he looked at me like a stunned mullet and he was pale. Uh, but he had his, you know, he had his note uh, signed from the teacher and he looked at me and just said, good luck for that. I'll, I'll wait for you so we can debrief. And I went in there, the teacher snatched the paper out of my hand, signed it, gave it back to me. I think I was in and out of his office in less than five seconds. So that was great because he thought I was going to be nothing, uh, which was really, really funny. Uh, And I went into drama class and it was the best. Uh, My drama teacher at that point, uh, Sheena Carter uh, is her name, was phenomenal. She let me be me and uh, I met some great people. And one of them we clicked straight away, a, a fellow by the name of Mario Chichita, and we clicked straight away and we were constantly just being fools and, and the class clowns and uh, and coming into the final year of school, she pulled me and him aside after class and normally that was because we were in trouble for something, uh, you know, pushing the line a little bit too far and she said that the Melbourne International Comedy Festival uh, has a competition for high school age students and that we should channel our uh, clowning energies into 
doing something useful and put together something to enter. Um, and so we did, and we didn't really know what we were doing. And she organized Damien Callanan to come back in and help us fine tune this bizarre five minute routine, which I think if you were trying to compare it, it was kind of like the Mighty Boosh mixed with Lane Owen Woodley in that it was really absurd and surreal and elements of slapstick in there and uh, bizarre visual effects. And it was actually really good. I still stand by that that five minutes was a really strong five minutes. And we entered this competition and we ended up getting through to the heats and I remember being in the office waiting for the call and when we finally got the call, um, we were ecstatic to know that we were uh, in the grand final, which was going to be at Melbourne Town Hall and it was a packed Melbourne Town Hall and Peter Hellier was hosting and Carl Barron um, did the, uh, the, the set, the featured set as well and we ended up winning and it was awesome. It was great fun. I still remember when they announced it, uh, looking in the audience and seeing my nana in you know towards the front, um, just like up on her feet, just like screaming, um, like her footy team had just won the grand final. It was really um, a beautiful moment that I will never forget. And we were excited. We rocked up to school the next day like superstars, and um, you know we got a bit of money out of it. We got on gigs and you know got some TV time. It was it was awesome. It was phenomenal. And I think at that point. All I wanted to do was be a comedian and, you know, my, my two goals at that point in comedy were to perform at the Gala for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and do a season at Edinburgh Fringe Festival and and that was sort of what, you know, I would hope that we were going to be working towards. <clears throat> but fate had other uh, ideas. We actually pushed it pretty hard, you know, post-school. We finished high school and then we put together a 50-minute show and we did it at the Perth Fringe Festival in Western Australia. And it was a it was a bad show. <laughs> it was we had five minutes and it was that same five minutes. And we somehow thought we let's do a 50-minute show. And the whole premise was that we had lost a spoon. And that that was it. It was bizarre. Um, and, and it ended up going okay. We did some really awesome shows in Perth with some, with a lot of great comedians, and then we ran it at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. We did a full month long season. At, we played at the Athenaeum Theatre, which sounds really impressive, except that we were playing in a room that had previously been a storage closet and can only fit like twenty people in it. Uh, and some nights was packed. Some nights we had like three people in the room. Uh, it was hilarious, um, and I remember our last show, our last two gigs. Uh, one gig was at over capacity; it was a fire hazard, and it was amazing. It was one of those gigs where everything fell into place, and and all the sort of loose ideas that we'd had, uh, we'd gotten the timing right, we'd gotten everything right, and it just worked so well. And then we were on a lineup show in the main room on the main stage of the Athenaeum Theatre and we stunk it up. We bombed hard. And, you know, we weren't used to that. We were used to doing all right. Um, and, and that kind of left a little bit of a bad taste uh, in Mario's mouth. Mars didn't, you know, I, I could tell that that sort of dented his confidence a little bit. But I think at the end of the, that comedy festival, 
both our parents, like we come on Maltese background, Mario is Italian background, and the parents were like, all right, time to get a real job. I was still 17, so I had no business, you know, doing what I was doing anyway. Uh, but that put an end to it. And, you know, we always thought that we would come back to it uh, at some point. And, you know, I had these loose ideas and every now and then I'd be like, hey, Mars, i got an idea for a show. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the timing was never right. And then it just vanished from my thought process. Um, what was really interesting is that the at that comedy festival, that there were probably two other duos um who were, were doing really well and uh, one of them was Hamish and Andy. They were they hadn't made it just yet. They were still unknowns and uh, the others, the other duo were Flight of the Concords and that was the year they really popped. I remember at the start of that comedy festival, we were at the, uh, the festival club, um, sort of like the after party, which was on every night and we were, people introduced us to, um, to Brett uh, from Flight of the Concord. He was absolute legend and um, like we didn't know anything about him. We were kids. We didn't, you know, know the comedy world or even the Melbourne comedy scene and then they got on stage and just slayed and by the end of that festival they were playing to absolute packed, packed rooms. It was phenomenal to to be there to witness that. Um, but it was really funny how the, then the following few years we would go and watch shows and not be performing and com- having comedians who are still as- very established comedians uh, at the time coming up to us and just questioning why we weren't doing things and they couldn't wrap their head around. We had all this momentum and ability but weren't doing anything with it. And it, uh, yeah, so that, that's sort of where it all started and then, I didn't think about it for a really, really long time. And when I say a really, really long time, that comedy festival run was in 2003 and I didn't start till 2021. And it was, yeah, it was something that I had never thought about. I'd never considered. I'd gone and done so many other things and, you know, lived overseas and, you know, competed in martial arts at a professional level and, 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 you know, been a youth worker and, and worked in, you know, elite sport and, and done all these different things. And I was watching um, on Netflix Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, the Jerry Seinfeld show. And a lot of my work during my day jobs at that point had been incredibly influenced by storytelling and using storytelling to, you know, convey a message or to create impact and all sorts of things. And I can't even remember who the comedian was. It was just in the background while I was working away and a comedian said that comedy is just storytelling and instead of ending with a message, it ends on a laugh. And that just like was one of those sun parting the cloud moments for me. And it was this weird moment of me thinking like, oh, no, no, I can't do it. But but I wonder if I was to do it, how would I do it? Because I didn't know how to get a gig. I didn't know the first thing about it. Um, and so, you know, did a bit of looking online and still was, was none the wiser and sort of put on the back burner. And then uh, I, I was down the coast and I was uh, at the beach with, with an uncle uh, who is uh, – Perth based and not a comedian, um, but he was asking like, oh, "Have you ever thought about you know going back to comedy again?" And 
you know, that was another little flicker. Um, and then I was running a workshop with my day job and I, it was like I was doing comedy. I was just getting a laugh a minute, um, unin- well, semi-intentionally. Um, you know, I liked to make the, I guess, the team cohesion stuff quite entertaining. And that that feeling at that point, there was a, enough of a spark that I did a little bit of a deep dive on the internet and I wasn't sure how to get a gig. And I know that I'm quite introverted and shy despite what I do. So I found a course and I thought to myself, all right, it's probably not going to be great. Um, but at the very least, there's a gig at the end of it. And at the end of that gig, I'll know if it's something I want to do. And if it's not, then I can write it off as professional development. And I also knew that it would expose me to people and at least give me like a little bit of a network. And I did it and it went really well. And I was really lucky that um, Brad Oaks, who was one of the, I guess, teachers, uh, knew I told him a bit about my background and that instantly changed how he (laughs) treated me from everyone else, which I was super thankful for. Um, because I'd had a little bit of a experience in comedy at that point, even though it was you know nearly twenty years prior, and that gig went really well. But I knew that it wasn't a real gig because there was a lot of friends and family there, and they're going to laugh because it's your first time. Even if you shit, they're going to laugh because you shit, uh, and if you're good, they're going to laugh because it's a pleasant surprise that you're all right. And so I still wasn't sure, even though I got a lot of laughs, I wasn't sure if I was all right or if they were laughing because I was shit. So. Um, because of that, someone said, oh, this is how you go and get gigs. And I signed up for an open mic and went and I consider that my first gig and it went all right. Like I wasn't best on ground, but I certainly got laughs in, in all the right places and thought, all right, I'll do another one. I'll do another one. I'll do another one. And that year, 2021, we lost about five months, maybe six months from lockdown. So it was a weird year to start. But by the end of the year, I'd gotten some paid gigs, which blew my mind. I had been able to perform with people like Dave O'Neill, who I watched on TV as a kid, and you know, and Dave Thornton as well, and um, and and just met some really great people. And you know, since then, that's kind of what I've been doing is comedy. I don't work in sport anymore. I have no interest in going back and being a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I have been going well enough that, you know, my day job is now becoming less and less. Um, so that's been awesome. Like I'm definitely doing, uh, better than I thought I should be doing at this level of experience in comedy. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for the people that I have around me in comedy because it is a really lonely and sometimes competitive world, but I've got good people around me, uh, other comedians who I can, you know, banter with and run ideas past. I think that's really important. No one operates uh, as an island and I think those that do and are total lone wolves, it just, you know, they progress a bit slower. Um, Yeah, so that's my origin story. Um, I guess since starting, you know, I've been really lucky. I've done two Melbourne International Comedy Festival runs that have both entirely sold out and gotten great reviews. My show last year, uh, Third Life Crisis, uh, was a split show with Lisa Gattenby and we did about 25 minutes each. And one of the reviews, it was so good that I thought my mum had written it. Like, actually, I remember reading it 
um, as I was walking my dog and I just had to stop and I had to read it a few times because it was so good. And I'm still not sure how it was so good, uh, but it was. So thank you. Um, and then this year's show, Habitual Line Steppers, again, another split show with Mimi Shaheen and Gary Johal uh, with Andrew Isles as our guest MC. Uh, again, that went so well, sold out every night. So I feel really lucky and I'm kind of in this period where I'm waiting for the luck to run out. Um, hopefully it doesn't, but it's that feeling of am I going to write something good ever again? Thankfully, it, it keeps popping up. But um, as I look at my whiteboard with all my ideas for new material, you know, there's probably 15 minutes of stuff on there um, once it's all sort of refined and, and panel beaded, but it's a it's a great place to be and feel really excited, really looking forward to, you know, I'm kind of two years in when you think about time lost to lockdowns and, and stuff like that. So I'm really looking forward to what it's like at five years in and, and where I'm at. But, um, yeah, that's a bit about my origin story for comedy. Um, I'll do one for martial arts because that's something that – surprises people is that I've been a you know a pro level fighter and and trained and competed around the world with some of the absolute best to ever do it uh so I'll I'm sure I'll talk about that at some point but uh thanks for listening and I'll see you next time thanks so much for listening to the Jeremy Dooley show for all information on tours gigs and other shenanigans check out jeremydooleyofficial.com or jeremydooleyofficial on all the socials see you next time